Can you set the scene for us as we're walking? Uh, yeah, we're it's walking late December, less than a week before Christmas, and just two days since the last episodes of this podcast and the HBO documentary series dropped. I got a text from somebody in the mayor's office. But it turns out that the story isn't quite over, and I'm out reporting again with my producer. It's a gorgeous day for so. This is like a Christmas miracle. It is. <laughs> a little warmer than usual, but I'll take it. We're walking from the newsroom to City Hall. Just yesterday, Boston Mayor Michelle Wu announced a press conference for this morning. She plans to make an announcement about the Stewart case. We'll be in the Eagle Room, which is right next to the mayor's office, and it's the room where they released the St. Clair Commission report. That report, back in 1991, was supposed to bring some closure to this case. I was in this same conference room on the day it was released. I felt then that it could be the beginning of changes to policing in Boston. But those hopes didn't pan out. And now, 34 years later, it seems like this might actually be the real thing. Right away, I start running into people we interviewed for this series, like Tito Jackson. Hey, Tito. What's up, man? What's up, man? Hey, Tony. What's up, man? How you doing? Hey, what's up, man? Excuse me. Merry Christmas. How you doing? Clearly, this is the place to be. When we get out of the elevator, the Eagle Room is packed with a lot of important people. There's a sense of anticipation here. That's Shigan Itawu. He's the chief of economic development for the city. That's Linda Dorsina Forrest. She's a former state senator. I see a lot of familiar faces. Hey, look who's here. Lewis. What's up, man? There's Louis Elisa, the former NAACP leader who warned Mayor Ray Flynn in the wake of the Stewart shooting to slow it down. Louis Elisa, thank you. Oh, so you've heard yourself? No. And there's Jeff Sanchez, Mr. Sanchez, who was one of many Mission Hill teens stopped by police in 89. He went on to become a state lawmaker. You got me going through all this shit in my head now because of all this. It's a who's who of the podcast. All our characters are here. <laughs> in one room, it's all the worlds colliding. Yes, it really is. Oh, and there's Chip, too. Yeah, there's Chip. Chip Greenwich received a scholarship in Carol DeMady Stewart's name. It's a big turnout. I'm surprised, but I'm also not surprised because there's so much interest in the story. You know, it's a room full of people who are really invested in it. And have waited for this day for a long time. In the room next door, Mayor Wu is meeting with members of Willie Bennett's family and other people directly affected by the case. That's the door to the mayor's office, so they're all in there. So they'll come out there. And so we wait and wait. So we're running 20 minutes late so far. (laughs) Obviously, yeah, they had a lot to talk about back then. Oh, yeah. Finally, the door opens. There's the mayor. There's Joey. Mayor Wu steps to the podium with about 20 people beside her. This is no typical city hall news conference. This is a moment. We are here today to acknowledge the tremendous pain that the city of Boston inflicted on black residents throughout our neighborhoods 34 years ago. The mayor's office, city officials, and the Boston Police Department took actions that directly harmed these families and continue to impact the larger community, reopening a wound that has gone untended for decades. In response to the murder of Carol Stewart and her child, and acting on a false, 
racist claim framing a black man for her death, the city launched a systemic campaign targeting black men in Mission Hill and across our neighborhoods. Black fathers, black uncles, black brothers, and black sons, if you were a parent or a child or a partner or a friend, if you knew and loved a black man in Boston, you feared for his life. Wicked, wicked. There was no evidence that a black man had committed this crime. But that didn't matter because the story was one that confirmed and exposed the beliefs that so many shared, from residents and reporters to officers and officials. At every level and at every opportunity, those in power closed their eyes to the truth because the lie felt familiar. They saw the story they wanted to see. And as a result, our black residents suffered. This has been a long time coming. From the moment Chuck Stewart jumped from the Tobin Bridge, some people in power urged the city to move on, to forget about the Stewart case, to turn the page. But there was no moving on for the Bennetts, or for other people caught up in the search for the fictitious killer. No moving on for the young black boys who had been publicly searched and humiliated by police. And for that matter, no moving on for me. Turns out all of us had been waiting to hear from someone in power that what happened was wrong. That it was a stain on the city that thousands of people still lived with. For once, no one was telling us to let it go. This podcast, documentary series, and multimedia project had finally forced the reckoning Boston had avoided for 34 years. I will count December 20th, 2023 as one of the most important days of my life. What was done to you was unjust, unfair, racist, and wrong. Say it again. This is bigger than anything I ever expected. I never expected an apology. In this bonus episode, we'll tell you what's happened since this series went out into the world and how the mayor's words were received by a community still trying to make peace with this case. You'll hear the reaction of the Bennett family and much more. We'll get back to that news conference and the mayor's announcement. But first, I want to tell you about one of the men who was standing beside her, someone important to the story, someone I've been wondering about for a long time. I'm a speak upon. I'm Adrian Walker, and this is Murder in Boston, Episode 10, Long Overdue. The man standing beside Mayor Wu that morning, his name is Alan Swanson. I was shocked to see him. Alan is an elusive character, someone my colleagues and I tried to interview for a long time. He was the first person police linked to the Stewart shooting. Alan is, of course, a black man. We didn't get into all the details of his story earlier in the podcast, but I want to tell you about him now. Alan's life collided with the Stewart case just five days after Carol Demetri Stewart died. 
Her baby died soon after. Here's what happened. Child. A dream that disappeared last night. We're white. Every single available police detective in the city work on the case. Violent fugitive arrest squad. They are all here and all looking for the killer of Carol Stewart. It was October 1989, and police were scouring Mission Hill, stopping and frisking scores of black men and boys. They were looking for a shooter, going off that bad lead from Chuck Stewart. Suddenly, there was a break in the case. In five, four, three, two, one. Boston police remain closed-mouthed about the material seized from the apartment at number eight Cornelia Court on Saturday night. Someone flags us down and says, there's a couple staying in this apartment, squatting in this apartment. You might want to take a look at them. It was Officer Billy Dunn who got the tip. Dunn and his partner convinced the couple to open the door. And the girl's whispering to me, there's a gun in here. There was also a striped Adidas tracksuit, like the one Chuck said the shooter was wearing. I go in the bathroom and there's a, a running suit, black running suit, soaking in the sink. And on the, behind the toilet, is a bunch of newspaper articles about the Stewart case. Billy thought they'd found their guy. There are reports of a possible break in the case. A man and a woman are arrested in Mission Hill on a burglary charge. Police seized a black zip gun as well as one live 38 caliber bullet. Now, police believe that Stewart and his wife were shot with a 38 caliber pistol. Police arrested Alan Swanson, the man in that apartment with the tracksuit. He was 29 and struggling with drug addiction. He showed up in court the next day on a breaking and entering charge. First impression was he was scared, scared to death. Leslie Harris was Allen's court-appointed lawyer. He was very bright and very articulate. Allen was a small-time criminal, often homeless and dabbling in drug possession and robberies. But now he was caught up in Boston's biggest murder. Allen Swanson said in lockup for 10 days as the prime suspect at the old Child Street Jail, he had to be kept in segregation, couldn't be with the rest of the prisoners because they'd have killed him. He had a target on his back. People called him a baby killer. He couldn't eat the food because they spat in his food. He couldn't sleep because the guards would come by and beat on the jail cell door to keep him awake. Representing Allen made Leslie a target, too. He got threats, threats that were so serious the cops were looking out for him. A couple of the police officers who I had gotten to know on other cases, you know. Um, Billy Dunn was the one, the main one. He said, you know, we like you, so we keep an eye on your car so nobody will put a bomb in your car. The police gave me a bulletproof vest. In the end, Leslie's client, Allen, was never charged in the shooting. And less than a week later, police moved on and started to follow a lead spread by some teenagers. Allen was released from jail, and then he vanished from his family and from people's memories of the case. When we started reporting this podcast three decades later, we went looking for him. Excuse me, sir. I'm a reporter with the Boston Globe. I'm looking for a gentleman by the name of Alan Swanson. Yeah, um, I'm sorry to bother. We're hoping to find a guy named Alan Swanson. We looked for weeks, following the little we knew about Alan's life from court records. 
We were at the Globe. Globe and talked about something that happened to him in 1989. Oh, it was an older gentleman. After the Stewart case, he continued to have run-ins with police. Yeah, he's in his 60s as a black gentleman. Oh, black. Goes by Al. He'd been in and out of rehab and sometimes didn't have a place to stay. Uh, we're looking for a guy who stays around here, Alan Swanson. We went to shelters and hung around the courthouse when Alan had a hearing, but he never showed up. We weren't the only ones who wondered what happened to Alan. Leslie Harris went on to become a judge, but he never stopped thinking about Alan. You know, people don't understand what the trauma was for him especially but for all of us who were around that case. My colleague, Elizabeth Coe, had asked Leslie about his former client. How would you sum up the trajectory of Alan's life? Tragic. His family doesn't know where he is or if he's alive. And that worries me, you know. Um, you don't find a lot of old junkies. Either they give it up or they die. And I don't know which one is Ellen Swanson. And I worry about him. I mean, to, you know, people say, oh, come on, that's 40, 50 years ago. Well, you know, there are people who make your life, make you understand the importance of the work that you do. And he was one of those people for me, you know. Ultimately, we didn't find Alan. We wrote this podcast without him. The HBO documentary series came out. Then Mayor Wu decided the city should apologize for the Stewart case to Willie Bennett and Alan Swanson. So her people started looking for him, too. Even the Bennett family helped out. That's how we landed at City Hall that day. Leslie was just as surprised as I was. He's here. I heard he's here. Yeah, he looks better. He... Um Completed a detox program and was waiting on housing and stuff. So he looks good. You know, I haven't seen him in 30 years. Because I look for him. You know, I met with his family. I know. Yeah, so he's in there with the family, with Joey Bennett and all yeah. them. You know, and I'm happy to see him. We weren't able to get Alan on tape that day, but he did speak with TV reporters. Here are some of what he said in a clip shared with us by WCVB News Center 5. Glad this is over. I just need some compensation for all the trouble and pain I'm still going through. Alan told another reporter that the case was still on his mind. Still haunts me everywhere I go. The, the name, my name. Everywhere I go, they say Swanson. They re refer to the Stewart case. How does this help you? Does it help you? It can help me move forward a little bit, but that case still... It's, it's, not, it's never going to go away. I didn't think I would ever see him again. What was your first impression when you saw him? That he was still Alan Swanson in so many ways, but that he was older. Could see that, you know, life had not been necessarily generous to him over the years. You know, time has taken its toll, but it's done that to all of us. I reached out to Alan after the apology, and he agreed to talk. But the day before our scheduled chat, he backed out. Why do you think Alan declined to do this interview? I don't think it's comfortable. You know, to talk about your life when it hasn't been positive necessarily. 
But I don't know why he, because when I first spoke to him, he said he would do it. And I thought he was even excited about doing it. But, um, you know, there are parts of my life I don't like to talk about. You know, and I haven't come, haven't gone through the type of trauma that he has. I haven't seen him in 34 years, so it's hard for me to say, oh, he would have been great and had a better life if not for the Stewart case. He was already struggling, you know, but um, it wasn't to be charged with murder, murdering a pregnant woman. Um, that, that is something that I wish on no one. These days, Leslie and Alan are back in touch. We talk on the phone once in a while. You know, he was, he had just graduated from a program. Leslie says Alan's now clean and in better shape, but he's still looking for somewhere to live. So the city has sort of used me to try to stay in touch with him to try to help him get some place to live. He's staying with friends now, and I don't know exactly where that is, but I have his phone number, and he will call me if he needs me, and if I hear anything, I call him. The mayor is trying to help. Her office is looking to help in some way. I don't see it as being necessarily financial. I think it's more of help with counseling or um, living, you know, having some place to live, that type of thing. He wants a two-bedroom so his grandkids can visit and stay over. He's a grandfather now, and, you know, that says something. So that's Alan's story, one that I'm glad I can finally bring to you. It's a story that's still not finished, and the mayor's office seems to be working on it. Mayor Wu made it clear at the news conference that righting these old wrongs is a priority. Let's go back there now to hear more of what she said. Those in power closed their eyes to the truth because the lie felt familiar. They saw the story they wanted to see. And as a result, our black residents suffered. As a result, Alan Swanson suffered, Willie Bennett suffered, and their families continue to suffer. On behalf of the Boston Police Department, the mayor's office, and the entire city of Boston, I want to say to Mr. Swanson and Mr. Bennett, the entire Bennett family, and Boston's entire black community, I am so sorry for what you endured. I am so sorry for the pain that you have carried for so many years. What was done to you was unjust, unfair, racist, and wrong. Say it again. And this apology is long overdue. Way too overdue. To every black resident, I am sorry not only for the abuse our city enacted, but for the beliefs and the bias that brought them to bear in the first place. There is no world in which a piece of paper undoes the harm of this part of our history. But it is my hope and the hope of our entire administration that you might accept this letter of apology as a small step toward accountability for the damage done by our city. Joey Bennett, on behalf of his family, 
thanked Wu. And we just want to express our gratitude to Mayor Wu for the apology, her courage in acknowledging the wrongdoings of the Boston police and offering a sincere apology is something we deeply respect and appreciate. It takes great humility and courage to acknowledge someone else's wrongdoings and to try to make amends. Your apology is accepted. Yes, sir. Your apology is accepted. Your apology is accepted. Willie Bennett was never charged with the Stewart shooting, but he still went to prison for something else, a robbery he says he didn't commit. At City Hall that day, his son, Nathaniel, said those years had taken their toll, too. So if everybody wants to know if we okay, we not okay. I wasn't okay when I had to visit my dad in prison for 10 straight years. Wasn't. Wasn't okay when he missed my little sister's first steps. Wasn't okay when he had his, couldn't see his mom pass away because he was in the cell. Right. We not okay. That's right. We trying to make everything okay. This is generational trauma that they inflict upon us. Joey and others noted that the apology only came about because of the new attention on the case. There were a lot of powerful moments during the press conference. From the words of Police Commissioner Michael Cox. As Commissioner, I apologize for the hurt, pain, and suffering experienced by everyone affected. To the prayers of Bishop William E. Dickerson. I pray, dear God, that you will bring forth healing in our city. And it wasn't lost on many folks that it took a city led by an Asian mayor and a black police commissioner to finally confront this episode that was racist at its core. Here's how Leslie Harris put it. We've had a number of mayors since Flynn. Nobody else had the courage, the strength to step up and say what our mayor said today. We've had a number of police commissioners. Not one of them apologized until today. Tito Jackson's remarks were perhaps the most moving. Today is not about politics. Today is not about politics. Today is not about politics. It's about righteousness, truth, and healing. He channeled the emotion that so many black Bostonians carried, the pain of this murder and its aftermath. True reconciliation exposes the awfulness, the abuse, the hurt, the truth. It could even sometimes make things worse, Madam Mayor. It is a risky undertaking, but in the end, it is worthwhile. Because in the end, only an honest confrontation with reality can bring real healing. Tito was speaking in his official role as chair of Boston's Black Men and Boys Commission. My message to you today is Boston, Always forward, never backward, always. Boston, always forward, never backward, always. He said the mayor's apology was an opportunity, at long last, for Boston to start anew. And so, in closing, I will count December 20th, 2023, as one of the most important days in my life. The ironic thing about me being up here making an apology is that I was stopped too. I was fresh too. I was dehumanized too. But now, Tito said, there's an opportunity to rewrite the narrative. So I close in the words of the late, great Maya Angelou. You may write me down in history, 
with your bitter, twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still like dust I'll rise. Willie Bennett, today you are rising, my brother. Joseph Toot Bennett, today you are rising, my brother. Mama Bennett, today you are rising, my sister. Alan Swanson, today you are rising, my brother. And black men in the city of Boston, brothers, we are rising today. I'm going to speak upon speak upon speak upon speak upon Murder in Boston is presented by the Boston Globe and HBO Documentary Films. This episode was reported and written by Elizabeth Coe and me, your host, Associate Editor Adrian Walker. This project was led and co-written by Assistant Managing Editor Brendan McCarthy. It was co-written and produced by the Globe's Head of Audio, Kristen Nelson. Our theme music is Speak Upon It by Boston's own Ed O.G. Reza Daya is our sound designer. Voiceover direction by Athena Karkanis. The Globe's Executive Editor is Nancy Barnes. Thanks to Boston Globe Media CEO, Linda Henry. The HBO documentary series, Murder in Boston, Roots, Rampage, and Reckoning is available to stream on Maps. Thanks so much for listening.